A lot of times I'm driving, there's nothing to do. And I shuffle through the radio before I unglue. There's a lot of red on ways, it's traffic, I'm screwed. And I'm wired a bit different than a regular dude. It's not a bad thing, I embrace it, it's true. The radio don't stimulate brain chemistry fluid. The Buddha found nirvana and the four noble truths. Through a meditative process, right action he proved. For me, I require the use of a tool, a detector, pin, pointer, shovel, and beach scoop. I'm meant to work the dirt with my history crew, but everywhere I look, my interest taboo. Most people choose Bieber over Tippy Canoe. What does a detectorist listen to when the radio is full of bad music and news? I need an alternative for me to peruse. Beyond sight and sound gets fantastic reviews. A metal detecting show where my thought bubble brews. Thank you, Josh Kimmel, for inviting me to a detecting dork out with guests like yours, true. Lee? Are you looking for a high-quality beach and sand scoop? Are you trying to take your hunting to the extreme? How about an American-based company that stands behind their product and everything they sell? Then check out our friends over at Extreme Scoops. John has been making scoops for some time now and makes a quality beach and sand scoop to take your hunting to the next level. Extreme Scoops recently released their new sand shredder that works great in the water and on the beach. And if you're a new Equinox user, you may want to check out his Surfmaster X3 that can trap those small targets you new Equinox users are finding out there. Extreme Scoops company approach is let's do it right. So do it right, buy it once, and go to the extreme. Extremescoops.com that's X-T-R-E-M-E scoops.com. Hey, boys and girls. We are going to talk about S&W Shooters and Prospectors. What is S&W Shooters and Prospectors? We at S&W Shooters and Prospectors help people find treasure. Did you say treasure? Yes, treasure. Just listen to this amazing review from our happy customer, Jackie Sparrow. Error. Chocolate ship shape and a pleasure to deal with. I was able to buy everything that I needed at prices that were shillings less than others. I found my nine pieces of eight in no time. Savvy? I know you're asking yourself, why should I shop at SW Shooter and Prospectors? Chuck Smalley has over 45 years of metal detecting experience. He works with each customer one-on-one -on -one to customize their setup to match their skill level. So if you always dreamt of being a pirate, Arr. contact Chuck at SNW Shooters and Prospectors and he'll take a great deal for you. I pass rum, not included. Caution. Please do not operate motor vehicles or power equipment while under the influence of this show. Listening to this show could cause side effects such as bouts of laughter, 
violent binges of cabin fever and even dreams of silver and gold. Please be advised. Now that the fine print is out of the way, on with the show. All right, the fine print's out of the way. It's time to roll with the show. We're back. We're live once again. You are listening to Beyond Sight and Sound, metal detecting and treasure hunting radio for all the really cool digging people out there. And some of us are definitely cooler than others. Tis the season. Uh, I see there's a lot of people dropping into the chat. Squatch Brothers are in. Kevin, uh, Mark. Chuck, uh, Sue, Pat, Shannon, Bills, uh, Good Grief, Steve, Mark the Grinch, <laughs> Crazy Spider in the house as well. Nice to see, definitely nice to see. And we've already got uh, some people on the line with us too. Uh, links in the description first and foremost. Our friends over at Shooters and Prospectors, AIP detectees.com ken mark darth buddy and the gang doing a great job the ring finders note the macro website mini mini horde commercial legend launch video don't forget and check out crazy spider adventures ohio metal detecting all metal militia detect that outdoors and metal detecting nyc all on youtube as well as beyond sight and metal detecting beyond sight and sound on facebook the i and i group uh metal detecting central illinois oh all Metal Militia, and others, obviously. Uh, also, don't forget, Barb's going nuts, pulling her hair out with the Kids' Great Christmas Giveaway that's wrapping up this evening. She's been busy all weekend with that. We are still running the Ugly Box Giveaway that ends tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern. Find the the post about our previous episode, find the answers about the proper voltage for copper coins and the weight of the bell. Private message those answers to me, Josh Kimmel, to get yourself entered. And we will close that out 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow and announce a winner in an upcoming episode. Maybe it's Wednesday, maybe it's Sunday. Who knows yet? I don't even know what goes on around here sometimes. That's the way it goes. Also, real quick note, uh, we're definitely keeping everyone in our thoughts that we're in the path of the storms that came through, especially those in Mayfield, Kentucky. Uh, last I heard, the death toll is over 100 and continuing to climb. The center of town has just been absolutely decimated. It was a uh, an F5, I believe, is what they're tallying that up as so enough of that let's get the gang in here because tonight is a very special occasion in a sense chuck has been waiting for this and i know the listeners have too we've got steve pomeranke from bering sea gold anybody that has done time in alaska as far as gold prospecting dredging hard rock mining you can't tell if you don't know the name Steve Pomeranke, obviously you're under a rock that he hasn't managed to uncover yet. (laughs) You're out of the loop. Yes, lots of time in Alaska, and we were having some interesting discussions before the show, so I'll just throw this one right out there real quick before we get rolling too far and see how many people fall out of their chairs 
we were speaking minutes before we went live, Steve, and you had mentioned you had tried to total up the amount of gold that you had recovered in Alaska. Obviously, this doesn't factor in, uh, you know, the cost to recover. But what was that number you came up with? Well, I, I've been at it, trying to add it up in my mind, and it's more or less close to $80 million worth of gold that we pulled out of that ground in the last 30 years. That is so, just absolutely staggering. <laughs> I just, but, wow. I mean, that, that seven ounce nugget that was found last summer when Chuck and, and the crew were up there, that was, that was staggering. That was a phenomenal find as well. But to hear it put like that, good grief. <laughs> that, well, yeah, but it, you know, it was a seven ouncer, but it wasn't an 11 ouncer. That was one of the biggest nuggets ever found right in that, that neck of the woods there about uh, 16, 17 years ago. Uh, the fellow that the guy that helped me get into gold mining, he had, he set up a little operation with a little half yard backhoe and a rock box. And they pulled out two 11 ounce nuggets, a couple of nine ounce nuggets, a couple of seven ounce nuggets. out of this little operation on Amble Creek. And I know there's in prospectors in the, the chat. Seven ounce. I know there's prospectors in the chat that are probably absolutely green with envy right now. <laughs> Just hearing about that. So before we get yeah. too far into things, let's let's back up and take a minute, let you introduce yourself and how you got into all of this in Alaska. It all started on uh, New Year's Eve on uh, 1986. A guy that knew of me of my mechanical ability down in central minnesota here he come and looked me up i was working on my truck in my shop i had a couple trucks on the road i was a truck driver at that time truck owner uh but he came up to me and he goes steve uh me and two other guys in Nome, Alaska, uh two carpenters we bought a, a bankrupt construction company he says we have 110 pieces of equipment here but only one piece moves. He says, I need you. And that's what got me to know him, Alaska. Wow. You know, it's, it didn't happen that night, but it was like February, uh, you know, after the New Year's Eve on 1986, when he came and talked to me, you know, I still had two trucks on the road. But then uh, uh, about middle of February of that year, there was this huge truck strike over out in Ohio, out in your guys' neck of the woods, you know, I used to haul steel out of Youngstown, but they were throwing cement bricks through the windows of your, your truck. So I decided to leave my trucks at home, and I wasn't making any money, and that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to go gold mine. I'm going to go out. I did decide I was going to go gold mining in Alaska. I just decided, okay, I'm going to go to normal Alaska and help these guys fix their equipment. Wow. That's what got me there. So once you got there, then what uh, what kind of uh, got you got the bug? You know what what well, moved you towards I'll tell gold? You exactly what got me the bug was after being there for a couple of years, I noticed these gold miners. They'd come into town, 
uh, May 1st when the snow was melting, and they'd leave uh, October 1st when there was snow coming down. Uh, you know, but I had to stay there all year round and work all winter as a mechanic to make my living. But these guys, they only came in there when it was uh, nice and warm and you, and the dirt was unfrozen. And, you know, they would come and leave, and that's actually what got me gold mining. Oh, so you're kind of going, man, they they get to go home, and I've got to stay here. I might as well find something to do with my time. And, hey, if I can make some extra money at it, why not? But, yeah, you know, after I was there for a couple of years, everybody started understanding deep can fix equipment. Well, then that's where I started, you know, moving out from the guys from the company I was working for, you know, uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, I would go to these gold miners and fix their dozer or fix their watch plan, put new bearings in the, the eccentric shaft and, or whatever. That's what got me gold mining. Ah, I see. So once you got into gold or you realized this is what you wanted to do, what was your first venture? Well, actually, the first venture was uh, be- between jobs, between mechanic and jobs. I was just so tired of just fixing and being a grease monkey. You know, I wanted to go gold mining, so I took 10 days off between jobs. Uh, in them 10 days, I set up my, I set up a little wash plant, borrowed wash plant, a borrowed backhoe to feed the wash plant on Upper Amble. By golly, and them, you know, in them 10 days, you know, it took me like three days to get set up. I mined for like two or three days, and then I had to tear it all down and reclaim it before I went back to work, you know, in them 10-day period. But by golly, I come out of there with 27 ounces and a whole bunch of nuggets as big as your thumbnail, you know, all kinds of nuggets the size of your little fingernail. Uh, it was, it's actually maybe spoiled me. <laughs> that would be a good way to put it. Sounds like you didn't do bad at all. Time very That well was my spent. first adventure. That was in the spring or in the fall of uh, 1990. The next year, you know, I still had to work as a mechanic to make a living because I had a family to raise and everything. But the, the fall of 1990, I mean, in the fall of 1991, it was the same scenario. I took, I took a month off between jobs. Me and another mechanic that was tired of mechanic, and me and him went mining on Triple Creek, you know, east of Nome. By golly, we came up with 130 ounces. <laughs> you you make it i mean and and really uh prospecting can be very humbling work it's it's it can be hard on the back if you're a small operation or a recreational prospector and all of that but you make it sound so easy well it was not that easy right because i was a mechanic and i actually knew something about moving dirt that was a good start to be a gold miner yeah, absolutely. I would agree. In Alaska, if you can't keep your equipment running, you're you're done for. You know, yeah. you can't. You know, you have to be capable of fixing your own equipment. Your own equipment. You know, because if you, if you're down one day, that's one percent of the season up there, dang near. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're you could literally be dead in the water. Yeah. And that's if your uh, big dozer. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, that that's not a uh, you know to have your equipment down. That's not a good position to be in in that environment. Well, if you're trying to make money plaster mining, you have to be able to move dirt nonstop every minute of the day. That that's my goal. That was always my goal for the last thirty years. When you get that wash plant up and running and able to wash dirt, it should be washing dirt 24 hours a day. That's the that's how you make money gold mining. You right, do not yeah. make gold. You know, yeah. It's absolutely it's a numbers game. The more volume, the better your chances of finding more. Exactly. Well, fast forward a little bit then because you uh you went from that then into dredging, apparently. No, actually, you know, the TV show does not tell the whole story about Steve Palmer. I, I went inland mining after that. I've, I've been yeah, inland that's right. mining nonstop since 1991. Um, but it was, it was, I got into a couple tough spots. Uh, one of them was up on Amble Creek for two years. I lost a half a million dollars up there, uh, trying to find gold up there that, that wasn't there being a, being goofy, you know, uh, wow. Not doing my homework or whatever. That's a tough lesson. 2009 is when I took a summer off from gold, from inland mining and built the Christine Rose. Okay. That's when the TV show started kind of. Ah, well, I know I've seen some of the Bering Sea Gold episodes myself, and just to see the uh, the things going on in the cleanup room and and seeing the piles of gold on the scales is just phenomenal to see. It's it's definitely a sight and had to be an experience for you, I'm sure. Oh, positively, there there were some great days uh, inland uh, plaster mining. You know, not on the ocean, but inland. There was there's a there's only about three days out of the last thirty years that really stick in my mind. Oh. When you make a hundred ounces in one day, that's, that's a good a, day. That's a good day. Yep. That would but definitely stick in the out mind. Of the last thirty years, so think about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's few and far between that you see days like that. And I'm sure that you had to work quite uh, diligently to achieve that. Well, I think I did because one day the plant operator calls me on the radio and says, Steve, I need to talk to you. Well, I figured something was broke or something. So I got up, you know, went up there, talked to him got up to the backhoe where he was feeding the plant. He looked at me and he goes, Steve, do you know you've been working 79 days straight? You know, and that was like 12 to 15 hours a day. And I go, I didn't know that. I didn't think about that. But, <laughs> but that's actually what makes, the, makes you succeed. Right, yeah. You, 
you kind of lose track of time. It gets away from you. Yep. When you're having so much fun. When you're right. having so much fun, you forget you forget about the hard days. Yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm sure when you have them them good days, it makes all the rough days worthwhile. Yep. That's just wow. <laughs> so being up there in Alaska as long as you have been. What are some of the largest nuggets that you have pulled personally? Well, the largest nugget I ever pulled personally was a two-inch, I mean, a two-ounce nugget. Uh, The only reason I got a two-ounce nugget is because the bottom screen in the wash plant had a hole in it. Otherwise, (laughs) the bottom screen would only allow a one-ounce nugget to fall through a three-quarter-inch square hole. A one ounce nugget will fall through a three quarter inch square hole, but a two ounce will not unless there's a hole in the bottom screen. Well, that's the reason I got that two ounce nugget. And where where did I get that nugget off? Uh, uh, what trick did I get it off of? I'm going to guess Amble. Well, good guess. So. <laughs> it sounds like that's the place to be in Alaska. Well, that that crick is famous for its big nuggets. You know, I like I was we were talking earlier before there, we got on air here. If you Google up the biggest nuggets found in Alaska, it was fifteen or six of them. Fifteen or sixteen of them come off of Amble Creek. Wow! And here's a guy that can definitely relate with that. We've got Chuck on with us too, as well as Frank. So Frank did make it to the show, Chuck. He just he's kind of setting in the wings right now. I think waiting for you to join in with us. There you go. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing great, Chuck. How you doing, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. Looks like you got a little good. snow up there in central Minnesota there the other day, huh? Yeah, just a inch or two. There you go. Keep it. <laughs> Nothing to impede the ice fishing. There you go. There you go. You know, I've been very fortunate, you guys out there listening, to meet this gentleman and walk around and go through his operation and be on his operation and watch the watch plant get cleaned up and be in the gold room doing a cleanup and see him take off with the Christine Rose. And that literally, and he's not telling you what happened. That literally changed the play on the Bering Sea and the um, lease claims out there in the ocean. Literally, he changed that entire game down there, and there's many copycats down there, but he, he set the bar on this after he went there. But he is actually one of the best plaster miners I've ever been able to go see and deal with and he's invited me on his claims and he's got me checking to see if he's missed anything and i don't find much there he does a pretty good job (laughs) (laughs) that's my goal not to leave one one spec for anybody else i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm so greedy (laughs) and i was present when he was showing off the two ounce nugget he was talking about that wasn't all that terrible long ago was it well yeah not that long ago a few years ago no, but uh, you know everybody's interested in listening to to 
to how you do operations, and, and they don't realize this past summer we were back in Nome, and I'm visiting with Steve, and he's up on a claim. He's doing reclamation up on there on his little dozer. If you don't understand the size of bulldozers, what that was a that's a two eight what? Well, I was on a. I, was I on the nine R or the nine L? I think you were on the R. Yeah, that thing's well, about like two G9 stories nine. tall. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't it? You're in Belgium now a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I had to climb up a long ways to get up in the cab with you. Story and a half, baby. <laughs> it's huge. But, that's a big and then he, machine. He talked to me about his new cut. When well, I got over there and I looked down in this cut, and I'm like standing there. How far is that down to that old tertiary? Eighty feet. Yeah, yeah, we were down seventy-five some feet there. Now that's not through dirt, folks. That's through solid rock. It, it, it was like a lot of limestone. I didn't see much uh, country rock or granite, but. That isn't an easy well, yeah. push. This last cut was like a Goldmeyer's dream come, come true. Come true. It was a it was a a glacial wash that washed through all this soft bedrock, and it just cut the Grand Canyon right through it. Wow! And Amazing. A lot of the guys I had with me they shut down to do the. They're down about an hour on the plant. That doesn't mean other operations stop, but they stop that plant in the afternoon. They're, they're refueling, they're checking stuff. They actually have the mat, and then they actually push the gold down deeper in the mat with a water stream and fire right back up. And you clean, what, once a week, Steve? Yeah, well, it depends on how much gold you're making, but we don't clean up more than once a week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's a lot of manpower. That's a lot of hours of, of uh, labor to clean up the whole sluice box. I know. You know I had an old miner, an old miner, Dan Walsh, his name was. Uh, his his predecessor was a senator from uh, Alaska. But anyhow, Dan Walsh was an experienced gold miner, and I and I I learned from him. You don't you don't clean up every day. You don't clean up every three days. You take your water hose out and you. And you, and you walk your box, you drive the gold down to the bottom of that carpet, it ain't going nowhere. You know, and then you, can, you keep running dirt. You don't spend all this time cleaning up all the time. You know, like the gold rush show and everything, you know, yeah, them guys clean up every, there they clean up every week because they're moving such massive amounts of dirt. But by golly, you only clean up your sluice box when there's actually enough gold in it that makes it worthwhile. So, you you know, you just don't clean your sluice box every day just for the nope. fact to clean your sluice box. You're being sounds, goofy. <clears throat> yep. Sounds like that's another reason why you've been so successful. Well, I don't waste my time doing cleanups when there ain't enough gold in there to waste your time. <laughs> exactly. Right, ain't ain't got time for that. There's more dirt to move. We'll clean up later. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I can certainly understand. People down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. And, uh, 
you you said you got to see that two ounce nugget that Steve found not too long ago, and likewise, Steve got to see a rather large nugget that you guys got to see pop up when you were in Alaska earlier this year. Yep, yeah, I did, and it was due to his a bit of his efforts helping open that area up that 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 came up. Well, you know, I was I was trying to get my I had some people in from Arkansas that knew nothing about gold mining, but my, you know, I gave them my 2300 uh, mine lab there to, to, to uh, detect this ground. Well, after that first day, they came, they had two five gallon buckets full of steel, <laughs> but not a gold nugget. And I think it was the next day where the guy, where one of Augie's plants found the seven ounce nugget. And, Exactly the same area where we started metal detecting. So that was disappointing, but I was still happy that somebody found a seven ounce nugget. Well, I truly believe it's a little more pushing along there. You might do it again or do larger because we talked well, about, you showed me where that 11 ounce come out of approximately. Yep. <clears throat> and yep. uh, it's right in that same area. Right in that same area, yep. The wow. 11 ounce nugget that happened. Uh, I was building a road up Amble Creek there. There was no road in there at all. Um, but I was building a road and I was pulling tailings out from a, you know, from the the, the dredge went went quite a ways up Amble Creek there. But it was a pile of tailings that the dredge left, and I was pulling tailings out of there, putting it on the road. And, you know, then I went down to Breaker's Bar to have a beer, and I was talking to RJ, and I knew he was a great metal detector. And I said, you ought to go up there. You ought to go up there and, and uh, do some metal detecting right where we were pulling pulling this, this material out to build the road. I'll be dang if the guy went up there one hour later, he'd come back with an 11-ounce nugget from exactly where we were pulling, we were, we were pulling road material, material out of the bay. So. Yep. Well, I'm, I know where that's at. I'm going to crawl across next year and hit up in that area a little bit. Well, it sounds like it, it could be time well spent. Another foot and a half of it. I'm sorry? He said he'll bring, bring the dozer. I'll up there next summer, and we'll do another foot and a half of shoving off of that. All right. You're on. I suppose okay. it's going to cost me some beer. Budweiser bottle. <laughs> I think I know that. Yeah, okay. I okay, I think so. I think Chuck's okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, and he look this guy this guy's got a nose for gold, but it's not a nose for gold. It's a it's a it's a nose to the grindstone up there. If you don't go up and work for it, you don't get it. And and you have to work. You have to be able to put your boots on the ground and get out there and whether it's detecting or what Steve does or what Sean does, you got to keep things running. Things break down. There's not a superstore in downtown Nome that has the parts you need to have for your cat. Is there Steve? No, no. Uh, you got to make, make do with what you got up there. Well, that if you can does make do with what you got. You're going to survive. Yep. In fact, you a few years ago, I was up there. You'd pull the wheel 
off of one of the, I think it was one of the utes, and you needed a seal put in, and and you told me that uh, I was there with you, and you told me that uh, that you were looking into a, uh, you had to buy a particular tool to put that seal in, so you just fabricated your own and did it. I mean, you have to do that kind of stuff up there. All the time. All the time. But, you know, the the, the beginning of all the gold mining, it, to me, it starts with my little three-foot steel rods, and I, I'm a dowser. That, tell, that, that, that saved me from shoving thousands of yards of worthless dirt by by uh, by uh having faith in my dowsing rod. Oh wow. Those dowsing rods they tell me it when there's gold under my ass. That's all I can tell you. So, <laughs> well hey if, now, if, that, if that doesn't open some eyes, I knew this. If that doesn't open some eyes to dowsing and there's a couple others up in that area that douse. And they're good at it. Well, and you know, I've yeah, I've yeah. seen dowsing. I've seen it work. I know a lot of people kind of shrug it off, but I have actually seen it work. That's not to say it works for everyone, but I have seen it work. Uh, it yeah. it can be a viable tool in the toolbox if the opportunity arises, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. That's right. Well, you're exactly right. It does not work for everyone. Um, over my 40-year career of relying upon my dowsing, I I try to teach it to other people, and I'm gonna say oh, it's only like one, one or one or two people out of five people are gonna be able to douse. The other three people, they just it don't douse. They can't douse. It's something about the magnetic something or another, whatever, whatever makes dowsing work. I don't know what makes it work, but I'm telling you, it works for me. So, right. Electrical charge to that you. person. They're not receptive. Whatever the the reasoning may be, it just, for some people, it does not work. And that's where we have the naysayers. Well, it didn't work for me, so it doesn't work for anybody. That's right. Well, exactly. But I have seen it work. I don't know that it would work for me. I have not dabbled in it a whole lot, but I have seen it work. Well, come on up to Nome, Alaska, and I'll show you how to do it. That's a very interesting prospect. But it's a little cold up there for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right now it is. Right? Yeah, definitely right now. What uh, do you, like, What what's a season normally run for you in Alaska? Like, how much time do you spend in Alaska? Usually I go up, I used to go up April 1st, but there was too many blizzards between April 1st and May 1st. So as the older I got, I started going up May 1st. So that's, you know, that's my season may 1st to november 1st you know wow. the month of may the month of may the ground is all still frozen solid but there's always all all kinds of mechanic work to do to get all your equipment ready to mine you know and it and it actually really starts to thaw out about may 20th you know to june 1st and then you can start mining because all the dirt ain't froze solid so 
That's the that's the season, May first, uh, November first. Wow, that's that's a fair amount of time up there. That's definitely considerably more time than you and Frank spent up there, Chuck. Uh yeah. I th- <laughs> this year's trip will be the twenty first time I've went to Nome, and oh uh, I get and I met Steve, I don't know, fifteen, eighteen years ago, maybe a little more. Off and on, and then things started really popping for him. And and um, his big endeavor, he had me down in there with. Uh, actually, when the seven thousand came out, he had us working. There was a a holding pond, an old holding pond, and he identified an area where the anvil had ran. And then, of course, as time changes, it moved its its. Uh, mainstream to the, well, that would be kind of the north. And um, he literally, he, he moves roads out of the way. He moved uh, the Teller Road out and rebuilt it and opened this area up. And he let us in there detecting and checking things out. And we had a lot of fun. But you would not believe the amount of material he has moved there. That's interesting. I, I can begin to tell you tons, metric tons. It's, it's amazing. What does a person have to go through to move a road out of the way? <laughs> wow. Uh, well, yeah, the last five years, actually, we've been mining. Well, underneath the road was the only ground that wasn't mined, basically. So we had to move the road. You, know, you get your dozers out, you start shoving dirt. That's what you do. Wow. So <clears throat> this wasn't anything like you had to go and apply for permits or anything like that. You just went in and started moving stuff. Uh, a road in Alaska doesn't mean nothing. Uh, a patented mining claim means everything. A patented mining claim takes precedent over a road up there. Wow. Because a lot of these roads are not there. They don't have easements. They don't have recorded easements to them. So if you have the patented mining claim underneath that road, if that road does not have a state designated easement, you are, that's your ground to do with whatever you want, even though it does have a road. So basically but if the road's I in the way, been, you go, that's not a problem. We can take care of that. But every time I took a road out, this is not the first time I took a road out. I took a road out east of town over at Triple Creek, too. But I always made sure that the, the community had a bypass, a nice bypass to get around our mining cut. Well, that's I remember awesome. when you moved the one over at Triple Creek. Yeah. That's about the first time I met you because I was down in the dredge camp down there. and I was running six-inch dredge coming up Cripple Creek. Ah, so. That water in that creek is never warm. <laughs> the water in any creek in Alaska is never warm, is it? That's what I was no. just going to say. I don't think any of it's very warm. And no. The second year I was working dredge up there, I, I came back with a dry suit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much a necessity. But seven mil wetsuit does not help you. Huh. No. 
Uh-uh. No. No, not at all. Steve, I mean, I, there was a question that came up in the chat here they wanted me to ask you. Have you had any encounters that were too close for you with uh, bears or other critters? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to Lost Mountain. I first trip to Lost Mountain. We got up to the top of the mountain, and uh, uh, my buddies had the, they had the tent set up ready and everything, and but we, I just dug a hole, and the first pan we took was like an eight-dollar yard gold in there at the top of the mountain, which is weird. That should be at the bottom of the creek somewhere, but this is at the top of the mountain. And I'm looking over to the right, about a half a mile away. There's a big silverback grizzly down there, and I told them guys that were with me, two of them, I said we ought to go down there and rouse that bear, let them know that we're here. But we didn't. You know, then I dug a hole, got $8 pan gold. We started celebrating, had a little bottle of whiskey, spaghetti dinner. The leftover spaghetti sauce was right next to my head, and we're just, we're in a dang wall tent. And then at 3 o'clock in the morning, you hear this, you hear this grumbling and scratching and clawing and growling. Well, sure enough, it was that doll dang silver black grizzly. But my dang rifle was in my pickup 100 feet away. It wasn't in the in the uh, tent with me, but Uh-oh. my old Minnesota raising here, uh, you know, when I went to the Boundary Waters canoe area in northern Minnesota, that, you know, I asked that guy, what do you do when there's a bear in your camp? Well, he says, that's easy. First thing you do is grab two two of your biggest pots and pans and start smashing them together. He says, that'll drive any bear away. So that's how I, them guys woke up at three o'clock that morning to me smashing these two pots and pans together. Wondering what the hell. <laughs> but the next morning we went out there and we had a tape measure. We measured that foot of that bear. It was a 13 inch foot. Oh man! And they say one inch per foot, so it was a big one. But he, wow! But he didn't get us though. So well, it sounds like that's I definitely close enough. The crew last year and the crew coming this year. I set them down before we go out. And you stay in numbers, and if you have any bear, you make yourself look bigger, make a lot of noise. All you can do is make noise, and I generally carry my 44, but I'm not always with the same group. And you just have to be cognizant of your surroundings, even up at the camp we're at with Augie's group. Uh, Yeah, bears up there. Yes, yes, I've seen them. And but I haven't had the run-ins that I had when I was over Cripple River, because when you traverse from Cripple up to the camps, you run into a lot of bears. And uh, but uh, you have to be cognizant. The the, the closest run-in I had was with a big old bull muskox, and he wasn't very friendly either. Okay, we're getting off the subject. We're talking about bears. We're supposed to be talking about gold miners. Okay. <laughs> That's just a sideline up there. Right. So, now, are you going to do, I heard something. Are you going hard rocking a little bit? I'm going to go hard. I'm tired of moving gravel. I'm going to go hard rock mining. Yes, the lost mountain. Huh. The guy, the guy carried all the gold he could carry out there twice. Not not year after year. It was three years in between. It took him three years to burn up his first pile. 
Then he went up there again to get another pile of it. But uh-huh. then he then he got he, then he got uh, drafted in the World War One. They sent him over to Germany. He got mustard gas in Germany. Then he was back in the VA hospital in Seattle, and that's when he wrote out the gold map. It was a two-page map. I, I have that map. Uh, very interesting. You know, old audit here, new audit here. You know, audit is the is the tunnel into the mountain. Uh, white man's grave over here. Uh, you know, that's where the things that were on this map. So the first time we got up there was like like June 10th. There, the superintendent with Connect Construction. That's the guys I was working for. He came up with a float plane, and I talked him into a flying us, flying me and him, me and the and the guy that showed me this map up to Lost Mountain. We hiked up a mile up to the top of the mountain, and I'm looking at the map, and it said a white man's grave, you know, old entrance here, old, you know, old out of here, new out of here. I could see them in indentations that that, that was where man dug a hole. But then uh-huh. I walked over to the white man's grave, and in five minutes, I was holding up a human skull. Uh, it had one little hole in its forehead, and about a half inch, a little itty bitty hole like the size of a 22 bullet in its wow. forehead. And then on the back of the skull, it had a hole about a about a three quarter inch where the bullet exited. Uh, so wow. we got it figured out that this the guy that showed me the map, he he he, he kept telling me uh, my relative was was a bad bad guy. So we got it figured out that his relative probably shot the guy that actually found the gold here in Lost Mountain, and that's the skull that we're looking at. So it's a it's, it's, it's a cool story, I'm telling you. But it ain't a story. It's all true. Well, Providence is everything. If you got the maps and you got the input on it, it yep, ought to be really in there, I think. I got the dynamite up there. I just need to get a good drill. I'm going up to prove it. So, and I'm pretty sure I'll he'll be know, able to carry goal. more out. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I got an excavator. I think I can carry. Yeah, you know, that's a sixty-four dollar question. How much gold can you carry across seventy miles of tundra? You had to carry your gun and a little bit of food or two, or whatever. So, how much gold could a guy carry across seventy miles of tundra to get back to Nome? <laughs> as much as he can. Yeah. Well, I figure about 1,000 ounces, 120 pounds. That would be probably the mass. That'd be a decent take. That would be nice. More than a decent take. Just be careful playing with the hot sticks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got to be careful with that. But still, I had, could, I, I had I had my high explosives used as a permit. I don't have it right now anymore, but I'm going to re-up it. There you go. go back. There you go. That uh, that ought to be interesting. Is that on tap for next summer? Yeah, later next summer. Uh, I got to right. finish my plastic mining right north of my house. I've yeah. got a couple little patches to do. I'm going to finish that off, and then I want to gear up for Lost Mountain. So that's my next goal. Well, were you clearing? When I was there last, I got off and I talked with you up on the 
on the excavator, and you were clearing another spot that looked was in that same line as that cut. Is that the end then up there? Yeah, yeah. We we got that all mined out there, Chuck, now this year. Okay. It's all mined out. It's all reclaimed. Looks beautiful. Good. Good. Well, you never well, know, Chuck. If you're up there again, he may have you uh, see if he missed anything up there at the mine. Well, he don't miss much. I've looked. <laughs> well, me. yeah, it's been multiple times that you brought some guys down there to do metal detecting, but you guys never did ever find nothing, eh? Not much. A little fleck here and there. It was something that probably came off a of cat tread. Yeah, well, I was hoping you guys would find something that we missed, but I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> well, I'm gonna. I'll take another look. You know, you never know. But I want to get back up Anvil again because there's a lot that was missed there on those old tailings. It sounds exactly. like he definitely makes you work for it. Oh, he does. But it's worth every minute of it. I'll tell you what. It's it's a great learning experience to go hang out with this guy and listen to what he's he's experienced because that's how you learn and move forward and. Uh, but I do mostly detecting anymore. I did a lot of suction dredging and uh, and that kind of stuff for a lot of years up there. And uh, that's just gotten to the point that old bones and cold water don't mix well. <laughs> <laughs> right. That that brings up a good point too. What? Because uh, obviously you said you've got a uh, 2300. What detectors do you use when you are incorporating the use of detectors and when and where? Are you asking me that question? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I have a 2300 and then I have some other cheaper model, but I only use the 2300 because it's so rugged. I can take it anywhere. It's waterproof. Uh, you know, right. Um, um, I, I didn't quite understand your question. When, again. when and where do you bring the detector into use to oh, check on, on that, the presence the of gold? Of, that's at the, I bring it into use when it's at the bottom of a cut, when they're scraping bedrock with the dozers. But there's all these cracks in the bedrock that the dozer can't go get, get out of there. That's when you bring the detector in. And that's the only time I've ever found nuggets up there. Is after the dozer has scraped off as much gravel as it possibly can, it's all solid bedrock, basically, but there's always these little cracks in the bedrock, and that's where the nuggets lay. Right. you got to get all that overburden off and get to the bedrock. Yeah. Well, most of the time, it's a lot of pay dirt. Not just overburden, it's a lot of pay dirt that's right above bedrock. You know what I mean? That's um, true, yes. So, do you normally just use the the dowsing and the detector, or do you stop maybe here and there along the way and maybe take a sample pan? I'm telling you the truth, I, have, I very seldom pan anymore. I look at the gravel. If it's washed gravel, I run it through the wash plant for a day. If it doesn't make gold, then we don't then we don't run that gravel, that colored gravel, or that you know that size of gravel, or what you know. I I don't pan much anymore because 
if it's washed gravel in normal Alaska, it usually has gold in it, 98% of the time. Wow. Nice. And when you're talking about the the nuggets and the placer gold that you are recovering, usually about what is the purity of that? Oh, uh, well, that varies on whatever creek you're on. Right. The first creek I mined for 15 years where I had my glorious days was Triple Creek, and that's east of Nome. That's a mile, uh, mile, it's a mile east, and then three miles north, Triple Creek. That purity, it had a ninety-one to ninety-two percent purity. Uh, nice. But but uh, but the but the inert, you know, the 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 last eight or nine percent of it, you know, it it, it run ninety-one percent gold and like seven percent silver. So this is very beautiful yellow gold, very yes, it beautiful. Is. It's like Australian gold, you know, so bright. Versus Amble Creek gold, which only runs eighty-four percent. It has a lot of copper in it. It's not a bright gold. It's a lackluster. It looks dirty, rusty. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of gold that comes off of Amble. You know, it's, it's, you know, it runs way less percentage than triple Creek gold. All the gold off the ocean floor and inland mining where we're at now, that usually runs between 87 to 89%. That still doesn't sound bad. I'm not seeing much of a downside there. No, there ain't much of a downside. <laughs> but, but by golly, every percentage that you can get in your pocket to pay the bills makes the ends meet. So yeah, you you would rather be mining on Triple Creek than versus Amble some days, you know, for the purity wise. Right. And oh. for those that that may be curious, what would like say a person wants to go up? They've they've tried gold panning and things like that before, and now they want to get into the bigger game, so to speak, and they want to get into a a larger operation somewhere in Alaska. What sort of a ballpark are we looking at for someone as far as startup capital? Oh boy. Mm. It's like, Oh boy. Other than a lot. Well, you know, but a guy, a guy can start small, but you know, uh, it all boils down to, you have to put a yard of dirt to a wash plant. It ha- you have to haul that yard of dirt to the wash plant. You have to get the dirt away from the wash plant. Uh, the more yards that you can wash every day, the more gold you're going to get. And that's what it all boils down to. Um, for many years, I just did mediocre because I had a small wash plant that only did 30 yards a- an hour. Uh, my life all changed when I got a bigger wash plant and haul trucks to haul the pater to the wash plant and haul the tailings away. You, you, I had to when we when we get wet up to seventy yards an hour. Now we're making money. We're at thirty yards an hour. We were just paying the bills and there was nothing left over. But so, it, so it, it is volume. So basically, it's like we said earlier, it's a volume game, and you're going to get out of it what you put into it. But 
obviously the more you put in the more it's going to cost to do this the the larger the operation exactly. the higher the cost yeah it's i mean just to smart just to start up a 20 yard an hour operation if you to get all the right equipment you're talking four or five hundred thousand bucks actually you know with a small dozer and, a, and pumps in a even smaller truck, you know, or they ain't cheap either. And, you know, or, I mean, if you did, if you bought everything used, now you're down to 150,000 bucks or something to get going. Right. But, but then you've still got maintenance, breakdowns. Yes. Yes. You have to have your $50,000 worth of tools so you can fix your, fix your trucks and you fix your wash plants and fix your excavators. You know, the, Wow. There's, you know, you, you know how many pieces of equipment do you actually need to go gold mining? Well, it's like 15 different pieces of equipment, you know, basically. Right. You're going, you know, well, how many do you want? How many do you think you're going to need? Yeah, well, uh, what size of equipment? You know, that's... Uh, if you're really lucky and you're on a hot little creek, then you don't need big equipment, but that them days are over with. All the hot little, all the hot spots are pretty much mined out. I'm not saying that there ain't a, some out there yet, but I'm telling you, a man has been out there stomping over in this Alaska ground. There was forty five thousand people in Nome in 1901. Uh, they did a lot of stomping out there. They, I mean, they walked over every dang acre of ground within. You know, a hundred miles of Nome, basically. And if they thought there was any gold, they started digging holes. I mean, them old timers—they had fortitude. You know, they found a little. They dug a hole forty feet deep. They found one piece of gold. They dug another hole a hundred feet away from that, or fifty feet away from it, to see if they could find two pieces of gold. I mean, wow! I I, I always have been amazed at that group when they started bringing in that heavy equipment the, the old dredge equipment and stuff and it was all hauled in most of the By time over feet. ice and snow because that was the best way to haul it horses the tonnage of equipment that went out say from gnome to ruby or gnome up anvil it was a where yeah unbelievable the work that had to be put in just to get it there. And then it didn't come in one piece. They built it on the site. Yeah. Yeah. It, right. Yeah. And they didn't, they didn't have dozers in 1901. Really? No, nope. they didn't have dozers. They didn't have excavators. Like Danny Walsh, the guy I was talking about earlier, the guy that taught me mining, I taught him mechanic and he taught me mining. He goes, if them old timers had excavators and dozers like we have, he said there wouldn't be one ounce of gold left on the Seward Peninsula. Right, they'd have done picked it clean. Yep. So it's uh But if you can't get to it, miss it by an inch, miss it by a mile. Yeah. Augie so. took us out to I I believe it was the Ruby where they had the series of bucket line dredges in place out there. And to see how now I don't know what years these were that they had those set up, but they were running electric 
motors on many of them. And he had run power lines down the ruby, I believe it is. And these dredges ran on these huge old electric motors, and it was hydraulic power that ran it. And I think that was maybe closer to the, it was after World War One because they shut everything down for a war effort on gold mining up there, didn't they, Steve, in World War One? But World War Two is when they shut all all mining. World War Two, and the tailing piles go for miles. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And the ruby was known for some pretty good sized nuggets too. Yeah, uh, the same way Nome ran the same way. You know, they had the powerhouse in downtown Nome. Uh, then the big power lines ran out to the dredges. And they all ran off electric, big electric motors. Yep. So, you know, the dredges didn't know. Wow. They, 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 uh, they were good at what they did. Even when Augie was making that cut up at AK up there, AKU, he ran into drift pits, drift tunnels. I can't remember how many feet deep. They pulled a lot of relics out of them. They just, when they were done, they walked away from those and left stuff behind. Yeah, Augie ran into a lot of unique stuff up that Ammo Creek. Yeah. Who the Mercury ran into, too? Did he tell you that, Everett? Yeah, he kind of mentioned it, but he didn't go into any detail. But, well, all I know is them old-timers, they had more fortitude than I maybe have. They worked their butts off for that gold. They deserve every ounce they got. I don't know. It sounds well, like you've got a lot of fortitude as well. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I just born 100 years too late. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, you're here at the right time. You're doing pretty well. You, uh, you have quite the operation, and you've thought it out and worked it out. I mean, I've watched some of the other operations come and go there and uh, over the years, and they didn't think what they were doing very well. Now, a few years ago, you had a bucket line dredge running outside of Nome yet, and is that operation still going, Steve? I'm right now going to help my buddy Johnny, which he bought. Ronnie Ingstrom, Ronnie Ingstrom passed away. He had the operating bucket line dredge at 15 miles on the Cougar Rock Road north of Nome. Yep. Uh, Ronnie died last year, and then Johnny bought the whole place, and he's going to get, we're going to get that dredge running again. We're gonna I get like that. that. Gonna you're, you're working on that while I'm there, I like to swing in. I, I got to look at it from the outside. I would yeah, like to swing the, in and, and see that. Runner. We got all the everything working except the the bucket line clutch needs to rework. We didn't couldn't get that moving before I left this this fall. Oh, oh, well, that would be interesting because I think I met him, Ronnie, one time, and I think he was starting to make good gold, wasn't he? He always made good gold his whole yeah. life. Whole life he made good gold with that dredge. I like this. Nobody, I like this. Nobody finds it. They make it. Yeah, yep, it wasn't normal. Up there, you make gold. gold. You make time, you make gold. Right. If things keep that. running, you're making gold, right, Steve? <laughs> if you're working for it, you're making gold. 
That's right. Whether well, you're running a detector, you're running a sluice box, whatever, it, it's all about the amount that you can put through it. As Steve talked on the large operations, even on a small operation, if you're into something that may have some pay in it and you're making it go through and you keep working it, working it, working it, you're going to get some return on it. You have right. to run the bad with the good. You take the bad with the good on anything in this life. Yep. Well, it ain't all good every day. Some days are pretty bad. We don't make a very much gold some days, but if it has any gold in it at all, I'm going to get it out of that dirt. I'm not going to leave it for the next guy. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just so <laughs> very, very competitive. You haven't left me much yeah. in my detector, but one of these days I'll find <laughs> something there. Okay, I hope you do. I hope you do someday. Well, I found some good ones up Anvil. Yeah. Well, you've scraped that down with a fine-tooth comb. Yeah, but I ain't scraped down all of Anvil. I'm going back up there again, I'm telling you. Okay. I might leave a little I might scraping off the scrape for me. Metal detecting, just do that on Anvil just for the fun of it. Yep. Seriously. <laughs> there, there you go. go. Definitely. Right, what's the biggest nugget you know of in the history of Anvil Creek coming off of Anvil? 175 ounce. It held the record for 100 years. He didn't even now, have to think about that. Nope. It came off. It came out right northwest of my house, about a about a third of a mile northwest of my house. And and I'm telling you, there's there's other big ones like that up there yet too. No, I'm sure. No, did I hear a story that that piece had broken off? Mm, I don't think so. That 175 ouncer. Yeah, I heard that they, maybe it wasn't that one. There's another one that they found that had appeared to have broken in half and never found the other half. Well, I don't know about that story. That that could be just another bullshit story. No, it could be. You get a lot of it out there. You know, they're mining the miners when you get off the plane. They've yeah, done yeah, that there's since a lot of BF gold with gold mining. So, <laughs> so fish stories ain't the only ones going around. That's the only stories going around for sure. Right. I don't know how much more time Steve's got. Uh, we may want to see if Frank's got any questions for him. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I'll be coming up again at the end of July, 1st of August again. And um, hopefully to find some nuggets this time. Patience runs short up there. I used to give it two days. It's, it's when it, the fish start running, you disappear. Yeah. When the, <laughs> yeah, I give it a, two, a hard two day of hunting. If I don't find anything, I'm going fishing. <laughs> well, and, I'm, I'm and with do you, well. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, I love going up to Alaska. It's always been a good time. Great people, good food. You can't complain, period. <laughs> period. So, can't complain. Can't complain, no. <laughs> and we've been left out in the weather usually, too. As we were leaving, the other guys that were coming in, poor guys, they got turned cold again. And 
and it started raining. I guess it rained quite a bit up there before we got there this past year. So we've been lucky yep, on the weather. Last summer was a horrible, horrible for rain. Oh God, oh, yeah. I heard. Yes. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was cool. I love going up there. So that's all I got to say. <laughs> but. Well, it's, uh, but it's been nice talking, listening to you guys for sure. <laughs> well, you never know. I'll hang you on get till the end. end. You may get to see him again when you're up there this summer. Oh I'll, yeah. Hopefully, plan on it. God willing. Right. Yeah, for sure. Of course, for the way sure. it's, the way it sounds, if your patience runs short, you might want to make sure and bring some fish with you when you see him. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that could probably be could happen. Yes, you know, gold <laughs> mining and fishing. Eight, them two things are about the same. You don't know when you're going to hit the jackpot. Right? That's right for sure. You you bring the fish. <laughs> Chuck will bring the beer. Yeah, okay, sounds go. good. <laughs> sounds like we've got a plan. It sounds like a plan for sure. Sounds like a plan. And Steve knows I'll hunt him down, so we'll get together. You may not That's find much sure. gold that he leaves behind, but you'll find time him. for us tonight. Yeah, nope. definitely. Thanks for uh, taking the time to sit down with us tonight, Steve. I mean, the way it sounds, you, we could talk gold stories in Alaska for a week. Oh, uh, yep. Nonstop, 24 hours a day for a week. Maybe 10 days at least. Un- unless there's gold to be made. Yep. Because yep. then there's there ain't no time for talking. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yep. <laughs> I'm getting there it figured out. A beer afterwards. <laughs> right. Yep. But yeah, great Steve, talking I got one guys. question to ask you. Go ahead. Um, have you ever just <clears throat> have you ever thought of uh, maybe writing a book about your all your experiences and stuff in Alaska? No. Oh boy, I probably should, but I'm I'm uh, I don't know. I'm just not a book guy. But who's got somebody else that? About, a ta- me, about a tape recorder? <laughs> Start talking. Well, okay, bring the tape recorder. Start tape recording. Then you write the book. Oh boy! Go, Frankie. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I ain't got time to write a book. I'm gold mining. That's right. <laughs> I like the way I like the way he turned huh. that around on him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I, I just gotta yeah, let Chuck, you guys Chuck know this last. Go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead, just Steve. Okay, the last last thing. I'm 69 and a half years old. I'm trying to retire, but I. When I drive around Nome, it just bugs the living hell out of me. I'm, I know I'm of all these places where there's all this gold yet, but I'm getting too old to mine it. It bugs the living hell out of me. So I want to pass that on to somebody else. You guys, you younger fellas. Well, there you go, That's Frank. You goal. may want to bring that tape recorder and start writing that book. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the phone. <laughs> yeah. 
absolutely. But it has definitely been an absolute pleasure speaking with you tonight. Man, the story, we're, we, there just ain't no way around it. We're going to have to get him back on the show again sometime because I yes. know he's got more. A, a yes. bunch of more. Trust a bunch me. more. And I feel fortunate to have met him back a few years ago and learn a lot from him and learn the history. He knows a lot of the history of Nome and the area and how the gold was made and things like that. So I've been very fortunate in that. And I wanted to, and he gladly came on with us tonight and shared some of his knowledge. And we got to get him back because he's got more stories than anybody because he knew and started with what I call the old timers of the area. And uh, they imparted knowledge to him. Yeah, right. Being passed I, I, I gleaned a bunch of information off of Hugo that he tromped all the Seward Peninsula and he did it by himself. He was out there shoveling dirt in the middle of nowhere, 70, 80 bucks a yard, he says. But I never did exactly get that spot from him, but I wish I did. <laughs> 70, 80 bucks a yard, that's rich stuff. Yeah, it then, sounds good to me. And there are there are a lot of places like that in the Seward Peninsula yet, I guarantee you. But they're so far off the beaten track, it takes an exceptional person to get out there and find it and, and, and run it through a sluice box. Yeah, okay. got to beat a so, path to it. It's but still nothing there. Ventured, you know, nothing I, gained in this world. No, exactly. the, the people have always kind of made a little, used to make fun of me for going up there and looking for gold. And they said, oh, the gold's found. I said, they have not even scratched it. Oh, yet. no, it's not. haven't even touched. Right. Yeah, but, it, it's nowhere near all being found. Yeah, but but so many of the hot spots are done. They're gone. But yeah. there is a lot to be found, yes, guaranteed. So, right, the, yep. the get your thousand spots. rods out. That's your beginning. Yeah. Well, so exactly. Right. Well, I yeah. want to wish you all a good night. I'll get out of here, Josh. You two can finish up. Sorry to get off track there when we we're talking about bears. But anyway, <laughs> Steve, have a great yeah. one. Steve yep. had to get you back on up. track for making gold. Yep. Well, I'll see you next time. Okay, Chuck. Talk to you later. All right, brother. Bye-bye. Night, well, all. Night, Josh. Thank you. Good night. Thank you, Chuck. And thank you, Steve, for taking the time to be on once again. And it it has. It has been an absolute pleasure. May your future be golden. Very golden. And my one goal now for the rest of my life is to teach other people how to go get it. So, I like it. Anybody can come and talk to me any time of the day when I'm up there, and I'll take time out to teach you how to get it, show nice. you how to find it, not how to make so, it, how to make it. You make your own goal. Exactly. Yes, we will definitely have to get you back on again sometime. This has been great, phenomenal. Okay. All right, Josh, then I'm going to go eat supper then. You have a wonderful evening, sir. Enjoy your supper. Yep. Talk to you guys next time. 
<laughs> well, there you go. It sounds like he's up for another one, folks. If you enjoyed it, make sure and throw us a like. Uh, Frank, do you have anything to add? <clears throat> well, no, that's about it. It was an enjoyable show tonight, for sure. You're telling me. I mean... Wow, I'd I'd just love to sit down. I mean, you've had the opportunity to meet him. I'd love to be able to sit down with him like that. That he is a character. Mm-hmm. Well, get your ass he up is. to normal ass. Uh, you'll you'll meet me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there you go. All right, uh, hang in there with me, guys. We're gonna get on out of here. If uh, or everyone else, if you enjoyed the show, make sure and throw us a like. You can follow us here on Spreaker, iHeart, iTunes, any of the podcast distribution services. Don't forget tomorrow night the Ugly Box giveaway it closes at seven p.m. Eastern. Da live tomorrow night eight p.m. Eastern, and we'll be back another time. Have a wonderful evening, folks. We're out of here. See you in Upper Ambles, guys. Talk to you later. Take care, Steve. <clears throat> Do. Later. Take care.